Hello and welcome to the BNB Show. My name is Brandon, and this guy right over here will be Seahawks. Brendan Nelson in the house. Return back here to the Hawks Nest after a bye. Looking refreshed, looking good, looking well slept. Brendan, you looking ready to cook? You looking for your looking? Look, I look like your team is ready to go on a run. You got that look on your face, too. Am I am I reading you right? I'm ready for it. If they want to do it, I'll be here to appreciate it. I'll be here to enjoy it. Not, not too shabby. And um, it was nice coming off that win last week, but we've uh, we're quickly right back, right back into it here as we're going to be previewing this Bengal game, a tough game. We don't get an easy matchup off the bye. Uh, before we do so though, Brendan, we don't have any real Seahawks news that's come down the trek here, but uh, we always, as we like to do with you folks, give you a little bit of an injury update as I know many of you'll be wondering on that. What do we have as our uh, current status here on our injury front, Brendan, for the folks out there? Well, uh, as of right now, we're having a little bit of a concern about Damian Lewis. He was out for the second practice in a row. So at this point, I'm kind of expecting Damian Lewis to not play. And that's the frustrating thing there is left guard is the one position where we don't have an intriguing backup, right? Mm-hmm. We have Ben Brown. I don't think there's anything intriguing about Ben Brown. He, not that he's awful, but there's nothing interesting about him. Okay. So if Ben Brown has to go out there, we can't even feel like we we learned something. Like when you see... Oluwatimi out there when you see Anthony Bradford out there you feel like you're learning things that mean something Ben Brown I don't think that's really happening so to me that's uh kind of a uh, disappointment but uh he still has a chance to get back tomorrow Metcalf is not practicing but I got no real fear about that he's gonna play I he's basically already intimated as much yeah um no Artie Burns and no Kobe Bryant so it's gonna be the Trey Brown show because Trey Brown is um back Trey Brown is ready to go off the concussion, so we're good. We got good news there. And uh, today was actually kind of interesting because out of nowhere, for no reason that I can find, Drew Locke has an ankle injury and did not practice. So we actually called up uh, our old buddy, uh, Holton Tebow, and got him (laughs) on the practice squad, and he will probably be active for this game in case we need that second QB. Taylor, Taysom Allers, you mean? Yeah. So I'm not uh, thrilled about that, especially when we know that Gino is at somewhat less than 100%. Yeah, scary. So worth monitoring. The good news is Phil Haynes has been practicing. Looks like he's good to go. Uh, Gino, no problems in practice this week. Jamal Adams cleared concussion protocol. Charles Cross is full go. So there should be no questioning his ability to play at this point. So that's really about it on our side. The Bengals side... T. Higgins and Awuzier are both could go either way, but they're trending positively. I don't know if that means they're going to be able to play this week, but they're headed in the right direction. And they're good down the line aside from that. Mm, pretty much, yeah. Uh, Joe Burrow's not even listed on the injury report anymore, so they're about as healthy no, as an NFL team could be. He looked he looked fine last week, and uh, right. I think I think there's a reason they don't have him on there. Uh, quick question before we get to the matchup on this: In regards to this injury situation, it would seem we'd have two options ahead of us then for the left guard. What is the better option, Brendan? Either A, taking Evan Brown and kicking him to left guard, and then starting Oluwatimi, or taking Phil Haynes to left guard and then starting Bradford at right guard. I would love to do the Phil Haynes to left guard, start Bradford to right guard. That's my favorite. Yeah. doesn't seem like that's something we're really into doing. No. Um, and I understand you don't want to be mixing and matching players up and down the line, but you're kind of already doing that by putting Phil Haynes at right guard in the first place. So I would like to do that. 
I wouldn't hate the idea of Evan Brown bumping over to left guard and then he started with Timmy at center either. Um, that that being said, I kind of feel like they're just going to run with Ben Brown. The reason why Ben Brown didn't play last week was because he was inactive and we literally couldn't. I kind of feel like we're just going to go with the Ben Brown solution and call it good. But uh, I would love to bump Phil Haynes over for a game and see if anything changes. I would too, especially with uh, Lewis, though he's been as good as a pass protector, not necessarily getting fully stabilized there at that left guard position, at least early early on this year so far, even prior to the injuries, because I think he's dealing with a hand thing too. Well, um, let's uh, let's jump into this matchup. I think there's a good amount to unpack in this one with this Bengals team coming up here. Um, we've got a Seahawks team that's been really good in 10 a.m. games going back for some years now here with Carroll. He seemed to have got a really good handle on how to make that run. This is uh, a matchup that I think we both looked at it the, in the offseason. We had kind of an L down, didn't we both kind of look at this as that's probably an L in, in advance? It looked <laughs> like the hardest game of the season, right? Because you had... Bengals on the road, not necessarily the easiest pace to play. Not, you know, it's not got this reputation. It doesn't have like the reputation that, you know, Denver used to have or Kansas City has now, but not the easiest place to play a team that seems to match up really well against your defense. It, it felt like it, it just kind of felt like a loss. And obviously that that changed a little bit with what we saw over the first month. But I, I got to tell you, I'm wondering if we just need to throw out everything we saw from the Bengals in those first four games. Yeah, I think there's a good chance that you might need to because they are, as any quarterback, fair to say, they're probably as driven by their quarterback just behind Mahomes as baby being the only other team that's more quarterback-centric to their success. And not that he's there, he's all they got. They got a lot of their stuff, but that he is the driver. Is it not? Is that not a good, fair way of putting it? Is that they, they live or die by what he does is – slinging the rock basically oh oh yeah yeah that team is i mean that that's a true example of a team that has a quarterback overcoming a bad offensive line like he's always been the guy that i pointed at whenever people make excuses for some of these quarterbacks saying oh it's not his fault he has no offensive line burrow does has never really had an offensive line ever and no. the things he's done have been phenomenal so he's like the ultimate example of what a truly elite quarterback can do. Totally. To yeah, totally. And I I put him and Mahomes in their own category. Do you feel that same way? In that, like, you've got your different tiers. You got your Sando does his tier quarterback tiers every year. I put them as their own tier one guys. And the, the next guys below are tier twos. As good as those next guys might be below them. Yeah, pretty clearly. Pretty clearly, I think Mahomes and Burrow... And then you have a significant drop-off, i got to be honest. Like, I, I think that yeah. the, whoever's in third place, whoever it may be, some people are going to say Josh Allen, some people are going to say Herbert, I think there's a significant drop-off. Agreed. There's just a sense of what and Mahomes and, and Burrow able to carry their teams that you get from them that you just don't get quite from other quarterbacks in other places. And uh, I think that this is at, at the head of this game, Brendan, is in – how we stop this team, knowing now he's at probably full health. We can look at these last couple of games what the Bengals did offensively, but like you say, we've got to throw a lot of it out because the fact that he is now at fault when he wasn't before, and that was impacting their offense in a way that it's not this upcoming week, especially if they get T. Higgins back into the fold and that rounds out that receiving core, which just helps to make him look and be even better than he already is, um, as tough as he is, as he is to play. For the audience, it's a little less uh, understanding and um, Burrow and what makes him tick. And I'm sure there's not, most of you guys do know it. What is it that we have to overcome with this guy? 
what is the what is from your standpoint the you know his what makes him tick and making him such a great quarterback from specific standpoint well you have his mobility which it's not lamar jackson but the stuff he can do with his mobility is pretty incredible it, it makes you think of maybe somebody like a john elway makes you think of somebody like that his escapability is remarkable which is why he was not effective over the first month of the season he had none of that it was gone mm-hmm. yeah but more than that it's also his ability to make anticipatory throws like this guy's going to be here at this time if i throw it here at this exact moment it's going to be there for the receiver to catch he has a very deep understanding of that kind of stuff so they've paired him with i think the best receivers in football in cincinnati and they've gotten phenomenal results out of it because you put him in that situation with those great receivers He's going to be able to do great things. He's going to be able to throw receivers open. And because of that, he overcomes, in my opinion, he has a maybe slightly above average arm. He doesn't have tremendous arm talent. Herbert's got a better arm. Mahomes has a better arm. Uh, Allen definitely has a better arm. Yeah. Uh, But he overcomes all that to be in the running for best quarterback in football right now. Yeah, I think I wouldn't even put him in the top five of arm strength in the National Football League and maybe not even top 10 if we're really getting real with it. Um, I, it's that he does throw with that anticipation and that's, you know, he he sees the field so well too, Brendan, and that he's just, he is a true full field reader. You know, he's he's going through everything and he's able to assess it and even come back to number one after he's gone through number four and and he's not going to get shaken out there. He's you know, on top of that escapability, you talk about, you know, you're not going to get this guy like you can get Daniel Jones where he's going to get flustered and and his eyes are going to go googly on you. And, you, you know, he's going to just stay cold. That's why they call him Joe Cool is that he is going to remain cool even into that siege that might be around him and he'll still complete that pass. And, you know, he makes some throws even through the first few weeks that you watch where you're like, geez, just the guts to make that throw there and to pick to choose that when so many quarterbacks would have looked at that look and went, I'll take down the check down here. You know, I'll take down this easy throw here. And he'll take the high degree of difficulty throw, trusting, as you say, that anticipatory ability that he has as a thrower to get that ball into that spot at just the right time. Um, how do you deal with this guy? I mean, he's the second, we're talking about second best quarterback in the sport. Mahomes best. He can carry the team on his back. You know, these kind of quarterbacks in my history, you tend to look at him, Brendan, and say, there's not really a way to stop him. It's that old, you know, there is no way to stop him. You can only hope to contain him kind of uh, mantra. Yeah, I'm not really thinking there's a way to quote unquote stop him. I don't think there's any way to like chess match your way into shutting him down. Right? Mm-hmm. You, you hope he he has a bad leg so he can't move around in the pocket, right? That's what the first four teams they played did basically. Yeah. Um so I'm not really thinking about it like that. I don't think that if Burrow is healthy and he has his receivers, which it looks like he does, and even if he doesn't have Higgins, he's got Boyd and Chase, so they're fine. Yeah. And they, by the way, I really like their receiver depth too, by the way, they drafted two of my favorites with the uh, Charlie Jones and Yoshivas, the Princeton mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. So either way they got receivers for days. So I'm not really thinking about this in terms of like, oh, you're going to stop Burrow. I mean, you can blitz him. You can throw, st- you can throw exotic defense stuff at him. But if there's any quarterback out there, who's going to find a way to beat that it's he he's on the list. So I think it's just mono a mono more than anything else. From a standpoint of coming off the heels of being relatively blitz heavy against the Giants and the team as a whole as on the uptick in the the number of blitzes that they're choosing to run this year, Brendan, do we go to an approach then? I See, I'm anticipating, I think, an approach where you're going to get more soft zone 
Um, but I think a varied approach would be more what you want to attack Burrow with here, where you're showing him a lot of different stuff and maybe not the same thing twice over. You know, you're just kind of constantly keeping things mixed up. But I think they're just going to try to drop the as many guys into zone as they kind of can and just squeeze those zones up and and see if they can, you know, force a bad throw or jump one of those anticipatory throws um, because he's trying to anticipate too much. Well, I kind of feel like that blitz-happy exotic defense should be our identity now. We have these two really good man-cover corners. Mm-hmm. You use it. And I think that if you're playing back, if you're playing very conservatively and just allowing Bur- – to me, Burrow is a guy who will take the short, easy pass the whole game if he needs to. He's not sure. – there, there are guys out there who won't. There are guys out there who you can absolutely trick into just taking a shot eventually into double coverage. But – Burrow's not really that guy. So I do want to throw stuff at him. I do want to play tight. I do want to throw blitzes at him. I'm just not expecting it to go as well as it did against Daniel Jones. He's going to find ways to beat that, that Daniel Jones just isn't mentally capable of doing. So I I would like to see the same kind of stuff I saw against the Giants. I want that to become the norm because that's how we built this team. That that's the group of players we brought in guys like Witherspoon, guys like Woolen, guys like Jamal Adams, guys like, now we're finding out, I think, Jordan Brooks, because he's been good on the blitz so far this year. Uh, Wagner, too. So yeah. Julian Love, by the way. Julian Love had great success with Wink Martindale as his defensive coordinator. So I want that to kind of become the standard. But I'm not thinking you're going to just shut down healthy Joe Burrow. Yeah, I don't either. And uh, I would echo your your favorability towards that kind of defense and that being the identity. I'd love that to become more of the identity of the defense. I think the returns have been there when they've gone to it as an identity in these first couple of games of the season. Um, I think Coach Carroll going against a Burrow guy is going to get a little bit a little bit fearful of what he'd be able to do on the back end, especially with the explosive plays. And hearing kind of Quandary reference that again here today in his, his press conference just has me worried that they might slide back into a little bit of that. Let's go four-man front and let's just we'll, – we'll get a tip ball. Something will happen. But I think like you say, if you do that, he's just going to work his way up the field patiently because he's not an overthinker. He's not a presser of the position. He will be a guy that, oh, you're going to give me the seven-yard in-cutting route all day? I'll take the seven-yard in-cutting route all day. And uh, right. uh, I hope that they do – You know, for me, it's a mix-up thing. Have some moments you're in four-man fronts, but bring those blitzes with it and, and just keep changing it up on him. Keep the looks varied for him. So that it never looks the same to him, and he never just letting him get comfortable with what you're doing on defense to where he feels like he knows pre-snap every time of what you're doing. I think if you fall into that trap with Burrow in particular, he beats you on that. If he knows if he right. knows what you're doing pre-snap, you're you're going to be in some trouble because you can't make the game easy for him. He's just too good. Um, you mentioned the receiving targets that Burrow had, and you are maybe right that he may have the best collection of three receivers there, or the best receiving room in the game. We start with Jamar Chase, a former top five first round pick out of LSU that was smoking SEC competition at 19 years old. And I think has absolutely still been the real deal since being drafted. I've got him up in, he might be in my top two of wide receivers in this sport. I have him above Justin Jefferson in my, in my view of him. Uh, I think he's got more versatility than Justin Jefferson does. Um, But I think he's just from day one, I've been a guy with a big Jamar guy. Where do you hold him in regard? I mean, he's got to be at least top three. I don't think there's any argument otherwise. Like, you, you've got Justin Jefferson. He's up there. And then who's the third guy? Is it still Tyreek Hill? Like, Hill's probably your number one right now with how just he's just a freak show with that in his production. But mm-hmm. 
I can't think of anybody else who I'd I'd stick like, above. Yeah, yeah, I can't really think of anything else. I mean, no, not not him. Not I mean, Devonte Adams not anymore, right? He was at one point. Probably, he can't yeah. be anymore. Probably not anymore. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's pretty much. Uh, unless you're a big Cooper Cup guy, which I don't know, it feels weird for me putting Cooper Cup in the top five. He's top yeah. ten, but I don't think he's top five. Agreed. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd put that in the same place. We're talking maybe a couple of years ago, maybe we could have that uh, that argument. But I think where things are at right now, I think he's that guy. And there's there's times where he is just and there. What's tough about this year right now, Brendan, is that they're they're even maximizing him more, right? Like they're kind of taking a page out of the Justin Jefferson book because he's been flexed more into the slot this year than he ever has before. And mm-hmm. uh, that's just, that has made him, I mean, the Cardinals couldn't handle it last week when they were bumping around in there. And uh, it's where we come back to like how to deal with that. Of you just, do you follow, is this the Witherspoon follow game, which is something coach Carroll has never done, but. Well, he did it once, right? Antonio Brown to 2015, Richard Sherman followed AB. I remember oh, did this. He? Okay. That was the one time because the Steelers defense offense was destroying us that game. And he, I, I think he eventually just decided, you know what, I I, I got to do something. This, this isn't okay. And the the year we won the Super Bowl, didn't Sherman kind of follow Jimmy Graham around the game where Jimmy had no t- catches? No, okay. no, he was on the right side. He did do the but. There was a Buffalo game, Stevie Johnson back in the back when we were in Toronto for the fifty point game. That was a game where, but that was also a game where Richard got dinged a couple times in coverage against Stevie at the slot because they moved Stevie in the slot and then Richard win the slot. And that's not a place you want Richard in his yeah. following, but that's yeah, what I mean, I, can do. Yeah. I mean, I would love to follow, to have somebody follow uh chase around, be it Witherspoon, probably Witherspoon. He's probably the guy who makes the most sense to do it because he's somebody who you can trust in the slot as well as outside. Um, doesn't seem like that's what we're too interested in doing. Maybe this will be another game where we have to get beat up a bunch before Pete decides to pull it out here. And I mean, you can certainly say that we haven't played a receiver anywhere near this good yet this season. So technically we haven't seen Carroll face a challenge like this. Maybe this will be an instance where he decides, Hey, I guess I'm going to, uh, I guess I'm going to do something completely outside of my comfort zone because this guy is just too good. Yeah. Well, and then to your point on that, if if he doesn't go outside his comfort zone, I would hope that if they have chasing the slot, that they're finding some double team principles in here on Jamar. I know Higgins is tough and Boyd's tough, and you're le- you're leaving those guys then singled up. But I I don't think you can let him do like, for instance, what he did to the Cardinals last week, where there's you know okay, 15 catches. I think you got to try to force this Bengal team to have somebody else beat you in this game, rather than this guy that they lean so heavily to and that Burrow so heavily targets because he throws him a lot of a lot of balls over there. Is that a is that a fair way to go? Or if you have Witherspoon and he's matched up, do you just go single covers? Let me just trust my young buck to hang on and hold up out there. And you know, this is why we drafted him. Um, I mean, all three receivers are good. Do you maybe double whoever Trey Brown's defending and then just say Woolen Witherspoon, you 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 guys are the uh studs? You well, whoever it is you're matched up with, you gotta just win. We gotta help out Trey Brown here because he's the guy who's gonna get cooked against any of these guys, maybe. It's possible. And certainly like you have Trey Brown at times, for instance, where T Higgins is across from him. He's given up. What is it? Five inches, four inches there against Higgins at that point in coverage on, you know, one-on-one. So maybe that's the way to run it as well. Rolling some safety coverage to his side a little bit with that. But um, one thing for sure, just you can't let that be. Jamar's going to get his catches like Burrow's going to get his yards. 
You just can't let that be the single dominating factor against you over the course of the day if you're the Hawks and have yeah. some kind of plan built in place where if he starts getting hot early that you can put some of the clamps down on that and force them to go somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, the all-time example would be Steve Smith in the NFC title game, right? Like, that's, yeah, that's the right. example I always go to. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I remember my football fan friends all thought Carolina had that game in the bag going in because Steve Smith looked that unstoppable. Mm-hmm. Like, they were just convinced that nothing is ever going to stop this guy. He's too good. But there's always a way. Now, it was a unique circumstance because Carolina had nothing else going on. They had their fourth string running back, and yeah. their second receiver was Kerry Tolbert or Mushin Muhammad. No, they didn't have Muhammad that year. He had Are gone to Chicago, mom? I think. Okay. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Kerry Colbert. That's who you're thinking. Yeah, Kerry Colbert. And there was a unique circumstance there. But the point is... Holmgren looked at that team and was like, I'm just not going to let this guy beat us. It's not happening. I'm throwing four guys at this guy if I have to. Yeah, he did, including putting a linebacker outside just to chuck him at the line of scrimmage. I I love that strat. I've never seen another defensive coach ever do that since they did that strat in that game. Nobody else has ever tried that out with a linebacker on the outside just to give him a good jam at the line of scrimmage. Um, Well, looking at the rest of this Bengals offense, I got to say outside of the quarterback and – the receiver, I'm not particularly worried about the rest of this Bengal team. Um, Mixon is a guy to me that's been a little bit on the downward trend as of recent. Um, seems like he's been with the Bengals for quite a bit of time. He is a hard runner. He's a harder guy to bring down. But if you look at his career, I mean, just like he's always around just barely at four yards a carry and they don't necessarily run block all that particularly well. There's not a lot of huge holes. It's kind of like you're playing the pass so much against them that they then catch you with the run game. And that's where they find success with it is that they've got you dropping into coverage post snap as opposed to having your linebackers taking steps toward the line of scrimmage. Do you foresee that in the, the mix in game and the rushing attack from the Bengals as well? I mean, they don't really run the ball. They, yeah. they don't run the ball, period. They, I mean, Mixon is what he is. He's fine. He's okay. He's whatever. But he doesn't really get the ball that much. So I don't think you can be going to this game obsessed with stopping the run. Which, I mean, we've been good at so far this year anyway. But I'm looking at it right now. They are 29th in rushing attempts, 31st in yards, 25th in yards per carry. They're one of these truly modern teams. They're they're, I mean, they're not quite Texas Tech Red Raiders or Baylor Bears, but they're moving in that direction they're moving this league in that direction with the way they play and these numbers are with four games of the quarterback yeah, team say that too. completely worthless completely yeah. in unable to do the things that he's supposed to do so if burrow was healthy this whole time are they 32nd in all rushing stats maybe i it's uh, very well could be you know like you say you think this would have been the time they would have leaned on it at any time into that rushing attack with his injuries but instead you know no they still are in that you know we're going to still just try to throw it and sling it so i think it, it this may open up a hole for the hawks in this game brendan where you go okay this is the place where you can now dial some of those pressures up because you're not as worried about them cutting you up on the on the in the running game if you do get too far up ahead the uh, up ahead on the field and uh, that is a place that i think is a keynote difference between the two ball clubs here, Brendan, is you have a Bengal defense, a Bengal team that doesn't run the ball well. Like you say, there's not a lot of efficiency there. They don't have a guy that is a talent that scares you. And you have a Seahawks team that's pretty committed to running the ball. We've got two of the top 12 most efficient running backs rated by PFF. And then you have a Bengals defense that's just about one of the worst in the league at stopping the run. I know we're talking about the offense right now, but that's as a kind of a do you not as well kind of lock in on that as a keynote sort of triumphant of, of statistics there that sort of kind of go together and telling a bit of a story 
for a pathway for success for the Seahawks team in this game. I mean, that's the one way you can actually stop Joe Burrow, right? You keep him on the sideline. So yeah, yeah I'm definitely looking at that. That's uh, that's the big thing to me. To me, that's pretty much everything in this game. Yeah. And as well, you don't have to worry about their running game. You can maybe press down on Joe a little bit more because of that. A little, Not as much having to give it as much as you did with the Detroit Lions, for instance, or what you might have done with Carolina. You can maybe not have to be as ingrained on that because you can just lock on knowing they're going to try to throw the ball and, and let it rip. Um, tight end, we got a former – don't they have a former uh, – is it a former Husky there at tight end? Yes, they do. It's uh, Drew Sample. Drew Sample. Where's he, where's he right? Uh, they don't throw him the ball either. He's got two catches this year. They throw to their receivers. And Irv that's Smith it. is the other guy they had there. Yeah, Irv Smith Jr. He's got five catches. Yeah. So they're throwing the ball to their receivers all day. They throw it a little bit to Mixon, but he's not really productive with it. He's just kind of catching whatever random catches are there. He doesn't, is he? He's like a four-yard catch, and then he's tackled every time when he gets it, doesn't he? I Every time I've had my Bengal head, just every time I've seen him catch a ball, it's like, two, two. And he just goes right. right down. But yeah, they generally keep it pretty simple. And, you know, I would throw to my receivers too, if I had those receivers, but uh, yeah. it's not a team that is going to use their tight ends that much. I mean, Drew Sample, I think is a pretty decent blocker, yeah. but um, not really going to affect the game too much otherwise. And I, I don't think there's really a ton else to say about this offense. It's a pretty simple in that way it's a very simple and straightforward offense they want to get the ball to their receivers because they got the best receivers in football and let them go make plays and they're they do a really good job of it generally speaking it's just you got to throw those first four games out you really just got to chuck them out when uh, i'm telling i'm telling you people you you do not want to try to judge joe burrow off the first month of this season you will regret it no uh, because he does look just so much different now when he's at health and able to move around in his use of his use of his legs. Um, Wu Tang Financial, thank you for the five dollar donation. I appreciate it. Sorry, a little late acknowledging on the donos, but uh, appreciate that. Wu Tang says the Bengals are only a bit better at protecting the quarterbacks than at the quarterback than the Giants. I like Burrow and all, but I'm afraid we're going to have to baptize him on Sunday. As Brendan would said on that, yeah, it's it is a bit of a touch and go with this Bengals offensive line and they did the Bengals did did they not Brendan everything that we've seen from the Bears and some of these other teams out there that go we just go get the quarterback he'll solve everything and in their case it worked <laughs> it worked it's the one time where it's like even after they got his ACL torn in his rookie year it still has worked I'll give him credit they tried to allow Collins that didn't work out for whatever reason as he's now a street free agent they they did go out, I think, again, an interior guard that they signed, and they did go make that big money deal for Orlando Brown. But nonetheless, in watching the first couple of games of the season, which I think we can take this away from Brendan because this is something that carries through from those four, four games, is that in pass protection, not the greatest, uh, this Bengals unit. Maybe improved from where they were rookie year at Burrow, but but not the greatest. Is that a fair, uh, fair way of painting the portrait? Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a pretty accurate way of putting it. Uh, they they uh, they got Orlando Brown right from the Chiefs. They got uh, their other tackle is uh, what's his name? Jonah, the first round pick, Jonah Williams, that uh, like, yes. number twelve overall first rounder they had. They're they're not the worst. Um, Burrow's really kind of like like if you remember that Rams game they played in, I think week three when they played the Rams. He's just really mastered the art of hitting his back foot, getting the ball out. Hit his back foot, get the ball out. And that's what he needed to do in those games. Now, obviously, when he has his mobility, he doesn't do it as much. But 
he's really got a good understanding of how to work around the limitations of his offensive line. So this is not going to be like Monday night against Daniel Jones. There's no way. The offensive line is not that bad, and this quarterback is far more equipped to handle it. Yeah, I think that'll be the hard part here, Wu-Tang. I think you can have some success, and you can get him a couple times, but he's going to get you a couple times too in catching you on it, and he's just so smart in, in being able to know what's going on, where the blitz is coming from, where's Hots at, how to get, like Brent said, get the ball out of his hands. Um, it makes it more difficult to get, it, get after him in that way, but uh, I still think the pass rush will be because of where their line is, it'll be relatively a decent part of what we do. And especially because the Bengals are going to be kind of one dimensional in their approach. That's going to, I think, help our pass rush out on top of like, as well, what Brendan said, where maybe more of our identity going to blitzing is going to come more into play too. And that will bring with it at the very least more pressures, if not more sacks and, and trouble for Burrow, if the, especially if they can run it as effectively as they did in that last game. Goodness gracious. Yeah. You, you just got to come in with the right game plan, right mentality. Uh, you know, I still remember 2020 when we played Buffalo and got destroyed and Pete Carroll in his postgame press conference said, well, we were really focused on stopping the run when <laughs> Buffalo that year was the worst running team in the league. Yeah. Like, if you do that, you're going to have problems. But if you come at this the right way, you, you can play a good game on defense here. Yeah, I think a, a bit of aggressiveness here, too. Like you said, don't sit back, let bro pick a little bit of whether it's from blitzing or stack fronts or just tightening down on the shorter coverages like they did at times in that Giants game. And rewatching the L22, Brennan, there was a lot of it where you were seeing them drive on those routes short where sometimes they haven't, right? If they're blitzing, they're going to still keep guys off and off coverage and a little bit back at the same time. A little bit less of that and maybe a little bit more of that aggressive approach this upcoming week for some success. But that'll take the gutsiness of Coach Carroll to be willing to put up with those explosive plays if he does that, because that's the risk you always take by doing that. And that's right. maybe the part where I'm unsure of in this game if they'll be willing to really dial that up. Yeah, I, I just don't want to see Burrow do to us what he did to the Rams. And obviously in that Rams game, he didn't have his mobility, but he just back foot, ball out, back foot, ball out, five yards, five yards, five yards, five yards, and they scored just enough points to win. I, I don't want to see that. Because yeah. that would tell me we've come at this game with the wrong mentality of how to play it. Yeah, it'd be a, it'd be a bit of a duplication of the opening week where you're just your offense can't get on the field because your defense can't get off the field, and every it feels like there's moving up the field on you on every drive. Um, I think you'll get a little bit of that if you go soft in this, and you got to go. It doesn't mean you got to go 100 percent high miles an hour and blitz every which way but loose, but. We gotta we gotta make this a little uncomfortable and burrow, make this a little bit harder on him. You make it easy on him, he'll beat you. I mean, he will. You talk about games you reference in the past. I go to a game like that San Diego Charger game when I was in San Diego in that uh, many years ago, right? The LOB lost that day in San Diego, hot at, hot day. And the thing that's jumped out was that was one of the days that stood out as one of the beginning points for me, Brendan, and watching offenses start to solve the cover three because Rivers just went back all day and he was just don't, don't. Don't he never pushed the ball at any point throughout that whole course of the game one time, I think past 10 yards up the field, maybe past like a 15 yard throw to Gates in the end zone for a touchdown. But it was just this little he all day knew those holes were going to be there in the Seahawks defense and took advantage. And Burrow will understand that very well as to, as well. Right. Thank you, Wu Tang. Appreciate you that donation. Uh, Brady, thank you for the two dollar donation. Says we have the number one run defense, but can we shut down their wide receivers? Oh, boy, brother, that is the uh, that is the question at play here. Um, I mean, that's the part I think both me and Brennan, as I'm hearing Brennan talk about this, he too is struggling with. I think we have the corners to get it done, but for me, it's a question of coverage. Are we going to run the right coverage to be able to get it done? Um, is it more for you? Just can the young can the young 
Bucks hold up out there against these really good receivers? Or is it that you think, like me a little bit with it, that there could be some of the coverage concepts that hold you back and stopping them as much as anything else? Well, I don't get the sense that the Seahawks are sacrificing their pass defense in order to stop the run. I don't either. Like, it's not like we're putting nine in the box and just getting beat constantly. It's not one of those things where we overcompensate. So I think the run defense kind of, as of right now, it takes care of itself. Now we get to December and Jaron Reed and Mario Edwards, both 30-year-old guys, maybe they're not playing the way they're playing right now. But as of right now, I'm feeling good about the run defense, especially with Adams coming back. I think it's going to take care of itself. Yeah. So to me, it's kind of a little independent. One One's kind of independent of the other, which is good. But I, I don't think you're shutting down those receivers. They are the best. I think it's they're clearly the best receivers in football. Yeah, that's certainly the best best core. So it's much like Burrow. It's that you just hope to keep them under control, keep the lid on top of the pan without boiling over. That's what we're trying to do here, Brady. And I think if you do that, you can win this game because your offense is going to have enough success, I think, against this defense to make that happen. But when they are this good, when they're the top of the crop, when it's one of the two best quarterbacks in the sport, you you don't tend to hold those guys to three point games or two you know ten points. It's it's going to be a bit especially on the road in their house. Um, if if we did, that would be tremendous. But I think Brady, the number one defense of stat is a legit one. Even though we are through only four games of the season, the team has been consistent in that approach in every single game. The way that they're doing it, I think, is sustainable because it's it's being disciplined. It's the gap integrity that was missing last year, and it's above all else, like the players have talked about. There's a true buy-in that you can feel from these players and their willingness to go up there and do their part in the run game, which is what it takes is complete buy-in. Players reference this multiple times over, and I think that's what we're seeing this year, just at least in that part of the game specifically. Right. Thank you, though, Brady. Appreciate that $2 donation, and uh, kind of is the answer in, in summation of that. Uh, Duquan Quack, thank you for the $5 donation. It says, how many sacks could you predict for the next game? I got a specific number here. Mm. You go first, though. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go four. I'm gonna go with three, though. I'm gonna say you're gonna get a lot of pressures, Duquan. So it's it's on the back of just Burrow being so escapable and being able to get the ball out of his hand when most guys might be pulled down for a sack. I think you only end up with three, but I do think you end up providing a lot of heat in this game, and I do think that that identity that Brendan talked about being that you're gonna be more of a blitz nature to your general, you know, modus operandi is going to also be part of what helps to generate that too. So uh, even though it's only three, it's not representative of the fact that we aren't going to get some pressure. I think we do. I just, to me, some of the keys here are squeezing down those zones and not letting Burrow just beat you um, with the dink and the dunk uh, and taking some risks at times defensively to make sure that that happens. And if you do that, I think that you have a pathway to win this game. But I think if you just try to like not lose the game, not give up the big play, not give up the shot play, not give up the explosive play, that I, I think you get a little bit stuck and then letting him slowly bleed you to death. Yeah, yeah. I just, uh, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're going to throw the ball a lot, right? Like Burrow's probably going to drop back to pass 40, 45 times. I'd so I think so. you're going to have a lot of opportunities at a sack. So I'm going to say four. I was thinking about three as well, but, uh, eh, you know, you, you can't go too wrong with either number, I don't think. No, I think you're you're right near the bag and – I, I think the pressure numbers would be normally in games with the amount that would get you four sacks, but it's just because of that burrow, I can get away from things kind of way of his his approach that makes me worry that we'll be able to bring him down that much. Um, but I think it'll be a good pass rush this week, Duquan. I'm not worried about that part. I think that part will be, you know, legitimate. 
Right. Um, we've got another donation, and thank you for that, Duquan. I do appreciate that. Fiverr, my man. Uh, big boy Jess with a $2 donation says, would Kenny Clark from Green Bay be a good trade target? Um, and Kenny Clark uh, been, has out, been an outstanding interior defensive tackle uh, in a three, basically 3-4 three, defense there, right? <clears throat> um, I don't think, Brendan, where's your stance on this one? I mean, it's not a bad idea. I don't know what the cost would be. I think it would be pretty significant. Huge. Yeah. So I'm not – I don't know. I, I also don't think the Packers are looking to blow it up. Like, they've lost a few games here. They're not playing great. But I, I think they – I don't see them as a team that's looking to, like, cut costs and get 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 rid of some of their veterans yet. Maybe in a couple weeks if they lose their next couple. But yeah. not right now. Yeah, it would be if it was in all things being equal and you could get them for where there wasn't the dead money involved here, big boy, Jess, Kenny Clark could maybe be a possibility. And that's in the case, like Brendan says, that the Green Bay is actually in a sell mode. Green Bay historically, though they've been good for so many years, has never really been in a sell mode at the trade deadline. That's not usually how they operate is, is doing much. I mean, either be bringing on players or trading players. They just don't tend to have that as a philosophy within how they manage it. The thing that doesn't allow this to happen is the dead money hit that the Packers are going to have to sustain. So he has a $12 million cap hit this year, $13 million cap hit this year. He has a $36.5 million dead money hit to move off of him, big boy Jess. So the, the Packers have $9 million in cap space. If they move Kenny Clark tomorrow, they would not have the cap space in order to be functional. Like They'd be penalized by the NFL for going over the cap. So uh, he's stuck in Green Bay both now and in the foreseeable future. I'd estimate even beyond next year with the cap, with the contract that he's under with them. So uh, he would be a good target. He'd be a good potential addition, but there's just no way that the cap numbers works. Um, so it's like the Vita Vea situation, you know, where Vita Vea would never be an option because they've the, the cap numbers are too much for for the sustaining team to move off of him. Yeah, yeah, I've been kind of looking – poking around the really bad teams for potential trade targets. It's, uh, it's bad. It, it? Uh, I mean, like Andrew Billings on the bears, I think would be pretty good. Uh, the Patriots have one guy, Dietrich wise jr. I think you could get him for maybe a fifth round pick and he's pretty good. There, there aren't really any studs that I'm looking at except maybe Leonard Williams, but you'd have to do so many gymnastics to clear the cap space to get Leonard Williams. I, that that's the one guy who, could really change the ceiling of this team, I think. But other than that, it was all just, you know, uh, Dean Lowry off the Vikings. Uh, mm -hmm. Guys like that. Yeah, I had the same issue. I just didn't. And they're not their bad players, but just if you're looking to me to make a trade here, you're looking to bring on somebody with some measure of impact beyond what you got. And if it's pretty negligible on that, then do you feel as impelled to do that move um, versus just, trust in what you got and letting it ride out a bit. And I, I find myself in letting it ride out as it stands. We got more time here, Brendan, with it being October 30th. So we don't have to like, you know, have this as a yay or nay right now, but by the feel of it right now, I would say out absent more teams jumping into the fray and sell mode. I just don't see a real great trade target. That's going to do us all. Well. I mean, if it comes down to that Brendan, like you said, Matt Ioannidis or going out there and just find somebody on the street almost at that point. Cause you're, if it really comes down to that, cause yeah. What's, what's Brandon me up to these days? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or Michael Bennett or something. I don't know. You know, Ben will give you five snaps, but uh, yeah, unfortunately no Kenny Clark. He goes in the Vita Vea category of it where it's just, there's too much dead money. There's no way to make it work. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's just, it's too much, too much, but thank you, big boy, Jess. Appreciate you. 
Uh, Carson Schroer has been a member of the Hawks Nest here for 28 long months. Thank you for that long time support. Says, happy game week, guys. I'll be there this Sunday, giving it my all, cheering the team on. Let's go get a big one and get on the media's radar. It would indeed do that, wouldn't it, Brendan? You come out of this with a win. I think uh, that media that does tend to be a little bit quiet when it comes to our Hawks and, and given a much of the just just do would, would start to probably take a little bit more of a clear notice, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah, I, I would hope so. I, unless they're just going to say, oh, Joe Burrow's still injured. Like, like that could happen, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it certainly is possible. I mean, they could say, well, he wasn't hundred percent. I mean, it's, you know, they just caught the Bengals at the right time. <laughs> I could, I could definitely hear the, the pundits yeah. saying that, but um, I, I think at yeah. the end of the day, they would go, sorry, go ahead. And after watching that game last week, he's not injured. I don't think he, he no. didn't look injured to me at all. No, he had that one play where he dropped back and he like jumped over a guy and then picked up his leg and jumped up over another guy as he was moving to his left. And you're going, okay, he's fine. <laughs> you go, okay. Right. That's that's a move where he's not making it. If there's some issue with your calf, you're gonna you're gonna look a little bit dodgy going through that kind of movement. So uh I I well said on your part, Carson. I think it is true. This week, if you go out there and you do take care of business, that's gonna be the case. And uh, hopefully the team does. It'd be cool to see. Not to mention, man, if we can get just now's the time with this schedule to start making some hay because it's gonna get so much tougher down the road and the 15 games and the three games in 15 days, the two Thursday night games, the, it's it's going to get a little hellacious later down the schedule on this one. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you, though, Carson. I appreciate that long-time support on the channel as a member. You're awesome. Uh, Jonas with a $2 donation. He says, I think DK feasts this game. I predict 150 receiving yards and two, count them, two tutties. What do you think about that, Brennan? We might need something like that to keep up because this will probably be a relatively high scoring game. So I could see something like that. I could, I could, you know, this might be his breakout game. This is the game that's actually going to force him to be the recipient of a lot of targets. Like you look at some of our recent opponents, like, you know, most notably the, uh, the giants, that was a team that didn't force us to throw the ball very much because they didn't score. Yeah. So um, I could see it also a woozy, their top corner. I think he's their top corner. Uh, we don't know if he's going to play yet. And if he does play, he's got to be at something less than a hundred percent. So there should be an opportunity for him to do some pretty nice stuff. Yeah. I think that, uh, and I think it's a good, this good time. And as any, to just turn this over to the offensive side of the ball. Now, as we kind of take a look at this Jonas and, uh, what, where I like your prediction with, with DK is this, you have a Bengals team that is one of the worst teams in the league at stopping the run. You have a Hawk team with two really good running backs and a good ground game to go challenge that. That I think would put their defensive minded, their defensive coordinator in a position where walking in this game, he goes, okay, we got to stop the run and I'm going to have to bring up extra assets for my secondary to help stop that running game. And if he does that, now do we have single opportunities for DK or Tyler? And I think one of those two guys ends up feasting in this game. I watched a lot of the games and the thing that stood out to me, Brendan, a lot of what the Bengals do is they run a lot of man coverage and they run a lot of a press look off man coverage where, and, and it's like, man, you put DK with press man. Look, I mean, it's just, you're, especially if he's got nothing over the top, if you got no help over the top, no safety help, like he, he is going to feast. He is going to eat and hunt. Not many teams do it that way with him. Yeah. And uh, remember that the Bengals this off season lost their elite free safety. The guy who was really good at keeping things clean back there and Jesse Bates and they've had limited success replacing them so far. So they, they don't even have somebody back there to keep things clean over the top. So 
there might be an opportunity for Metcalf to catch like a 70-yarder in this game. Very well could be. Give him, Gino a chance to, you know, actually go and hit hit it deep, um, which they haven't taken a lot of deep shots this year so far, at least ones where Gino's actually thrown it inbounds. They have a uh, they have a young secondary there too, Brennan, a guy in, in Dax, Dax Hill from Michigan that we had a couple of Michigan guys they grabbed actually in the secondary, which was kind of interesting. Um, we got the Dax Hill guy that neither you nor I, I guess they got him playing at safety and probably taking over Jesse Bates' spot. But neither you nor I were really – he was kind of a guy to me at the time coming out of Michigan that was sort of a man without a position. Is he a slot? Is he a very safety? Is he a hybrid defender, positionless guy? What would, Do you remember him much about with that with Dax Hill? Yeah, I remember looking at him a little bit. I don't remember what I thought of him, though. There were a couple of safeties in that vein. Like uh, the, the guy the Vikings took, I remember these were kind of guys that I looked at. But I looked at them passively because I didn't think we were going to take a safety that high. It was just kind of like an obligation yeah. more than like, this is a guy I think we're going to take. Yeah, that's very true. Um, but he doesn't look like he's been necessarily lighting the world out fire for them. They also did the DJ Turner kid, the corner from Michigan last year that came out, the 426 guy that was blazing fast. Um, he's the other guy out there right now who I think they've got at, um, I think that's their slot, if I'm not mistaken. That or Mike Hilton, one of the two. But I, I think that this is definitely a secondary where be it Jackson, Tyler, or DK, these are not the toughest cornerbacks that they're going to go up against this year. And there is definitely some room for them to go and feast, like you say, yeah. John. I do like uh, Cam Taylor Britt. I do. I will say that. I, I like do. his potential. I'm a fan. I am too. Every time I watch tape on him, he's on the Bengals with defense. He's always flashing and he's a real active player just all over the place from the cornerback position. You know, a little bit of the shades of Witherspoon with that. You know, he's not a cover guy like Witherspoon, but just being a willing football player from the corner position and to do 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 dirty work, do the stuff where he's got to help. But um, I think you can get after this, this, this secondary. I think it's not as strong as it's been in recent years. And I don't think it's ever been a real strength of this team. But uh, this is, to me, really the defense is probably with the Bengals, their front seven more than it is their back end and how they're built, right? This is the old school front to back type defense. Right. And it's not a great defense anyway. So, you know, it's not like their front seven, which is their strength is even that strong. But yeah. No, no. Yeah, no. It's just that that's how their, that's where their approach has gone at it from how they wanted to build it. Um, it seems like defensively it starts with them with probably DJ Reader on the inside is what, you know, your interior defensive tackle in there is really what a, a lot of what makes this line work. Um, but they've, they've got some solid guys. Like you said, there's no star guys, but you got Hubbard, you got Hendrickson that they signed over from the Saints, who's got like seven sacks on the year. They've, they've got some guys they can throw at you. They're not just leaning like a Carolina team would on a, a Brian Burns to, to handle all of the duties in the pass rush side of things. Right, I'm just checking this out. Yeah, okay, DJ Reader. Yeah, he he is probably their main guy. But um, Hendrickson is actually having a really good year so far. Yeah. So Charles Cross has his hands full in his first game back. I'll say he that does. much. He does. Mm -hmm. And I believe they gave a bunch of money to Jermaine Pratt this offseason. He's like their top linebacker. He was a guy that I looked at briefly because there was a time when he was a free agent. Great cover, great cover linebacker, right? Right. But uh, the main characteristic of them is so far they have been unable to stop the run. And some of that is because they've already played a game against the Ravens and the Ravens run the ball better than almost any other team. That's going to inflate your run, rushing yards allowed. And the but they, they, they couldn't stop the run very well against the Cardinals. The Cardinals ran on them. Now the Cardinals ran some like misdirection trick plays where they ran like the one play where they go in wildcat 
and Marquise Brown makes like he's handing it off and then goes the other way and right. the whole Bengals defense bites on it and he goes for 45 yards, but their run defense is not very good. That's uh, that's kind of the bottom line here. So they do have a couple nice players on the defense, but it 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 is to a certain extent kind of tossed together out of uh, out of some lesser guys because their ownership doesn't allow them to afford a player like a, say, a Jesse Bates. So you, you see the impact of something like that. You really do. And uh, they are a team that I think you mentioned about those trick plays like Carolina, the Cardinals ran. I, I think that, um, and they had the Baron Browns on their schedule too. So there's another run heavy team. That was before Nick Chubb right. had his injuries. So another team that definitely is going to inflate and bloat your rushing numbers out a bit. Um, but they, they certainly are a good overall line. There's not a lot of sizzle to it, but it's, it's, it's solid. It can get the job done. As you say, cross hands his hands full. And because you have Hubbard on the other side, you know, and they, they do mix those guys between each side, but that does mean that you're going to have to still provide the help to a Curhan type who I'm guessing is still starting because Luke, cause Lucas is not off the IR yet. So you're probably helping more out with the tight end help to that side, which means a big key here on the offensively is, is cross coming back in that first game and holding up for a lot of this game at times one-on-one with Hendrickson over on that other side or Hubbard, the times he flips him over there. Right. That's big. And traditionally speaking, the Seahawks leave their tackles on islands last year. They left their tackles on islands more than almost any other team. So now that cross is back, even though he's playing against a really good player, I think we can expect more of that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think you've got to offensively too, is take advantage of that aggressiveness. This is a Bengals team and, uh, Baltimore did some of this. Cleveland did some of this. You know, we're going to start this way and we're going to go over here. We're going to run counters or we're going to, you know, misdirection because they do want to flow really fast to the to the play side and where it's going. And especially in the ground game, because they're so it seems like especially watching the recent weeks with them in the, the ground game is that there's a real like awareness of we got to clean this up. This isn't good for us right now. And that's got every guy kind of trying to step aggressively towards the run game. So that play action pass with Gino in this game. Um, I know this is a game, Brendan, where a lot of Hawk fans are chomping at the bit for Jackson Smith and Jake, but to have his breakout game. I think we've got to look at a little bit, though, in the effectiveness of both for the Hawks offense and what they've done and how to attack this Bengal defense, because you're still going to need some help for one of your guys there in, in Curhan as far as some chip blocks and helps there, if not occasionally cross. But stat that jumped out to me is right now the Hawks, Brendan, are the best team in the league in EPA per play in 12 personnel. In two tight end looks, you are the most efficient offense in your two tight end looks in the league. How do you balance that information out with the want to get Jackson Smith indoctrinated into this offense and cooking in this offense? Well, hopefully eventually we start getting better on third down so that we have enough plays per game to do a lot of both. Like right now, it seems like we run 50 to 55 plays a game. So it feels like you can only emphasize one thing. But if we can get up to where some of these teams are, where they're running 65 to 70 plays, you can do both. But right now, while we're having these issues, I do think you have to stick with the 12 personnel because this is something that worked really well for us last year. And um, at the end of the day, I don't think you can... you shouldn't be needing to form your offense around a player. You should be forming the player around your offense. And until you can figure out how to do that in a way that is valuable, actually a plus, you don't do it. We're not trying to make fantasy football owners happy here. Yeah, 
That's a, a good way of putting it. And I do think Jackson's time comes eventually here, but just the way the season's played out and the way that you've you've had your successes where you've had them, it's just this is a good – and where we had them last year, as you said. Last year, too, you had this. So it's this is just where things are at. It's not indicative or it means that as a lot of fans – there's a lot of Hawk fans out there, oh, this means he's a bust. This means Jackson Smith wasn't a good pick. It's, no, it just means that you've got a, a really strong you – know, almost to the point of super offense and how you're built – and you can beat teams through a variety of different ways, including leaning on these two tight end sets. And a lot of these teams, as we've seen this year, are struggle with those two tight end sets defensively. They don't have an answer or a clear answer. Do we go base? Do we go nickel? You know, are they? Are, how do we counter them? You know, and I, I think that's been something that they got to stay on and lean on. That's the, the best in the NFL in those 12 personnel and efficiency and offense. That's it's a notable stat to me because there's a lot of teams out there running two tight end sets, Brendan. You know, I know three with three wide is probably the most common, but. There's plenty that do lean on the two tight end sets too. Right. Uh, thank you, Ryan Woolridge, for the $2 donation. He says, hi, bro. Should I pick the Bills for elimination? Um, what does that Bills mean? are coming off a loss. No, no. This is, uh, you know, every week you pick a team to win. And if you pick a team that loses that week, you're you're out. Oh. It's survivor. It's Survivor, basically. Okay. Right, so the Bills are playing the Giants at home. I mean, yeah, probably. I mean, you you probably can't go too wrong with that. Like, like the 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 tough part of Survivor is finding opportunities to pick a bad team when they have a game you think they're going to win. Like, just as an example, uh, Patriots Raiders. You know, the Raiders are not a good team this year, but you might want to take the Raiders in that game because. You can feel pretty good they're going to win that game at home against this terrible Patriots team. And then you don't have to worry about taking the Raiders again the rest of the year. So something like that maybe, but I don't think you can go that wrong picking the Bills to win. No, I think this is – and it sounds like Tyrod Taylor is going to start for the Giants um, in favor of the neck injury with uh, Daniel Jones. So no Andrew Thomas still back for the Giants, Ryan. Um, I, I can't think that the Bills – Bills are coming off a tough loss in in London to to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, the one thing that does make me a little worried is the Bills have now lost like three of their really better defenders here in the past two weeks and all the season ending injuries. I mean, I'm, I feel bad. My heart goes out to the Bills, Brandon, because these three injuries feel like in the moment right now, as it stands like, ugh, just as you're about to round into shape to become that Super Bowl contending team, you're going to have that thing where, you know, one injury too many on one side of the ball, you know, losing yeah. one too many playmakers. There were some advanced metrics like some good advanced metrics that indicated Daquan Jones is the best defensive tackle in the NFL. Jeez. And now he's just gone. Yeah. And Matt Milano, another guy kind of like a Daquan, yeah. where not a lot of people are aware of him, but uh, you know, league wide, but as far as your average fan, but a, an absolutely fantastic player. Right. You know? Yeah. I, I do say yes, Ryan, because the giants are just that bad. Like we saw and they're they're not going to get any better with a backup quarterback. Um, but uh, yes. Yes is the answer as <laughs> I turn it over. Uh, thank you, though, man. Appreciate you. And best of luck in that elimination uh, tourney. Uh, Phoebe Morseyocks, thank you for the $2 donation. Says, hey, B, how did you make Brandon birthday gift? Brandon, uh, you want to explain yeah. your birthday gift? Uh, so my dad makes metal art as his hobby. And uh, the uh, he has a plasma table that he uses to cut metal. He can make anything. He can make literally anything that can be designed in his computer program. So he's a big fan of making the Metal Hawks, of course, because people love that. But he can make anything. He's made, you know, Falcons logos. He's made Titans logos. He's made Jimi Hendrix's face. He's made Heath Ledger's face. Anything that you can design, he's made. 
So it's a plasma table cut in uh what, what do they call it? 12 gauge steel, I think. That's I believe cool. that's what it's called. 12 so, gauge yeah. steel. That'd be a great Brock band name, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that well, is, is there, yeah. Is is there a uh is there a place for him to be contacted? There's anybody that wants to have any custom stuff done? Is there a site or uh, he's handle? on um metal I think his Facebook is called Metal Hawk. Okay, that's easy enough. So look mm-hmm. him up on Metal Hawk if you're looking to maybe potentially get something customized like I got here over my left shoulder. Um, and uh, thank you to Brendan's dad for hooking me up. Looks tight. Yeah. Way yes. better than the sticker yeah. I had back there. <laughs> yeah, I got a bunch of stuff around here too, although I took some of it down when I remodeled down here, but I got a bunch of metal stuff around here. That's cool. No, that's awesome. And it's, it's probably a, an art working with that stuff, you know, mm-hmm. just years of getting just the perfect and understanding and all that i mean it is it's definitely a you need a touch with that type of stuff thank you though feed me appreciate you for that don't know uh jeffrey a thistle coming in with a fiver thank you jeffrey for that as well and i hope you all are having a great night thank you for the support very much appreciated says just watch the broncos it's like watching all the things russ used to do badly and none of the upside we used to get poor russ are, are we at a point where we're feeling bad about Russ or we're feeling sorry for Russ at this point? Have we kind of, is it no. to turn a little bit? <laughs> I think it, he's not dead. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't have an illness. It's, it's football. He hasn't gotten hurt yet. Even it's not like he even, he's broke his leg. He's playing football. I don't, I don't think we're there yet, but uh, I, I did see. Okay. Um, Russ is guaranteed 39 million next year. That number doubles if he gets hurt in a way that means he cannot pass his physical in March. Mm -hmm. So do the Broncos bench him because of that at some point? No, because can't they cut, they can cut him before that moment has, like, I think he's cut. It's like the Derek Carr situation last year. I believe predicting this, that Russ is going to get cut before a week after the final point of the season. Cause there's that roster bonus that's due a week after the season. If he's on the roster, that's not injury-based as I understand it. And so what I think they're going to do is they're going to post June 1st him within a couple days after the Super Bowl. And I'm not him. sure if that's how it works. I thought if you got hurt on company time, you get more guarantees. Like my I think it's only hit the, if he's only hit that escalator in the contract, which is a certain time of the contract, not from the start of the contract. I could yeah, be wrong on that. but like I understand. Last year, remember Garoppolo? Mm-hmm. He didn't pass his physical, so the Niners couldn't cut him until he passed it because they would have had to pay him out. Like, like I'm, I'm thinking there's got to be something about that. This is uh, one of the guys who works for OverTheCap.com was tweeting about this earlier today about how his guarantees double if he gets hurt. Um, that That's an interesting element here. I just – my thing is I kind of feel like Sean Payton is just coaching on autopilot right now. I don't feel like yeah. he's putting much thought into anything. Agreed. Like um, that offense last week, not, there wasn't yeah. anything going on with that offense that was like, "Oh, look at how brilliant a play he drew up for Russ here today." I mean, did you find yourself one time in this game saying that to yourself? Oh no, not at all. Absolutely not. Um, like, like um, it feels like the receivers aren't trying very hard anymore. I think they <laughs> no. like they know they're going to get traded. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they got the Judy thing out there in the open, like just yeah, we're we're moving him at some point here. Like it's just a. Okay, you expect the guy to be out there rolling hard? No, it ain't happening. But but yeah, it's it's pretty bad out. It's pretty bad. It, it's going to be very interesting because I do think he's going to get released this off season. 
And I'm wondering if somebody picks him up because he has played well in moments, right? He's, he's had thinking. some decent moments, but he's got Sean Payton, right? He's got this great offensive mind. If you're a team like, I don't know, the Falcons and you're Arthur, what's their coach's name? Arthur Smith? Yep. Yeah, are you Arthur Smith? Are you like, I'm going to do better than Sean Payton did with this guy? I'm going to fix, do something that Sean Payton can't do? Like, that's going to be about, very interesting. What about Washington? Yeah, Washington is the interesting one because they've got uh, the enemy. Right. They've got the enemy. My thing is, I think those new owners want to go for it, which is why I predicted before this season Washington is going to be the team that trades up to get Caleb if a trade for Caleb manifests itself. Like Arizona gets the top pick or a mm -hmm. team that Caleb is not going to go to gets the top pick. Yeah. I it's think Washington swoops in with like the three firsts, three seconds. I don't care. Just give me my quarterback for the next 15 years. I could see it happening. I could certainly, you know, see it happening. I could also see it being where that trade isn't available to him. And then they do double back around into Russ at that point going – well, let's let's get Russ and we'll take a second, third round quarterback in addition to that. And then we'll, you know, let that kind of play out as it does. Let the best man kind of win. And we have a backup option for Russ. It's not our we're not all hitched completely to Russ at that point and like sinking or swim with him. But it doesn't it'll be a low cost move for us because Russ ain't making any money after this. Nobody's going to pay him. I don't even think 10 million a year. It'd be about we're giving you a starting opportunity job for us to come into Washington, something you don't have across the league, so we, you know, where now your options are way more limited than they've ever been but yeah i mean atlanta's the dream right because you get to hand the ball off to Bijan and all here you've got kyle pitts who's being tragically wasted right now you've got drake london who is being tragically wasted right now mm -hmm. like, like that's the dream and that offensive line's great by the way atlanta that foundation in atlanta is special mm -hmm. to all young quarterbacks who are going to be in the draft next year atlanta i think is where you want to go I think it certainly is. Yeah. It makes your job easier than some of the other places you could land, which will make your job tougher with their supporting staff. So I think Atlanta's definitely in play, Brennan. I do say this, there's probably only a couple teams that we could be, you and I put our head together that would really be even feasible at this point. I think it's, um, and you, like you said, the other thing that has to happen here is that they have to look beyond the tape and look at, do that thing of getting tricked by the numbers. Kind of like what the Broncos did with Russ and making that trade. Right. Cause they looked at the previous year numbers and they're like, well, well, he was still at, 26 touchdowns and six, you know, four interceptions. And, you know, so it was like on the surface of it, the numbers looked okay, but it was like, you got to go a little bit deeper than the numbers on this one. Yeah. I mean, that's happening a ton this year. I see it all over Instagram already. Yeah. I mean, people are just like, he's got this many touchdowns. He's got this many interceptions. And I'm like, this isn't the 1980s anymore. We have better stats now than box score crap. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, exactly. There's, and, and the, it's important on this one because the, the real stuff tells you much different tale than the box score crap does. Cause that can get you a little bit tricked with Russ at times on that. So, um, yeah, I do think we're in agreement on that. I think he's one way or another, he's cut this off season and he's not been as bad as he was kind of tonight. And some of it wasn't just on him. Some of it was the pad pass protection was miserable. Sean Payton's play calling. I mean, he's supposed to be a smart offensive mind, but in watching a couple of games this year, I haven't seen the evidence of that. You know, I, I don't know if it's these coaches, Brendan, you guys like Tomlin or, or Belichick. I don't know if some of these older coaches are just having some of the game pass them by and they're not evolving with it. I don't know if it's just, you know, I, I'm not sure what to make of it, but it's definitely yeah. seeming like it's a youth movement thing in the sport right now with the coaches, head coaches and those having success. Yeah. There was one moment 
I, I because I was doing a red zone live stream on Sunday because it was our bye week and I was like, I, I gotta do something. Yeah. So I streamed while watching the red zone channel all day. And there was something that happened in that game that kind of made me lose my mind on stream because it was so weird to me. It was at the end of the Broncos Jets game. Broncos are down by 10. There are five seconds left in the game. It's fourth quarter, right? Mm -hmm. The game's over. And the clock is running, so the Broncos run up to the line, spike it with one second left. And then with one second left, they throw a Hail Mary. And I'm thinking to myself, they have to realize there's no good outcome here. Like, the only thing that can happen is somebody gets hurt. Yeah. And sure enough, Wilson got blasted on the play. He didn't get hurt, but he does get blasted on when he throws up the Hail Mary. I'm thinking to myself, how does Sean Payton not just grab his headset and go, hey, take a knee? Yeah. Like, like how? How does he not realize that's the right move there? And that kind of got me thinking – it kind of feels like Sean Payton's coaching on autopilot. He's not really thinking about anything. He's just like, oh, you guys all suck. Let's just get this season over with. I'm going to get my money, and next year maybe we'll try harder. I, I'm getting the feeling, too. I I just don't I, – I thought he was coming in there with more of a certain purpose, and I don't see what he's doing from a purposeful standpoint and drawing a lot of change from what they had there with Hackett. Mm -hmm. And it does maybe feel like you're saying, I'm wait to turn this over. i got to bide my time with where we're at with some of the problems on this team, and – until I'm done biding my team, then we'll turn over. But, you know, he's been – it's been bad first year for him, and he's going to be firing his defensive coordinator, I guess, at the end of the season. And, you know. Well, they're not going to fire him this week. That This was probably the week to do it. But then they actually played good tonight, and he's like, I guess you stay alive for one more week to give up 48 points to Jordan Love next week. Yeah. I thought he was always going to wait till the end of the year with him anyway. I didn't think that he was going to fire him in that midseason thing. And it was like he was going to – because I think Peyton looks at it and goes, well, I did – I did push Evero out. I did facilitate this whole new coordinator. I'm a little bit at the heart of this too. I got to own on that. Even if he's an autopilot, I mean, how can he not feel that way a little bit? Yeah. You know, like I, I took something that was working great and I've, I want to do it my way and I broke it in doing that. I mean, that's obvious. I know that you said they play better tonight, but I mean, you broke that defense and you didn't need to. That was the one thing you should have just kept, kept Evero there, pay him. I would have paid him some of my salary. Just like, you, you keep right. it working. Just keep going what it's doing. Right. So I can only then have to worry about my offensive side of the ball and special teams. But. Yeah, but to, to go back to the original question real quick, I mean, Russ wanted to get traded. He wanted to get traded to Denver because he okayed the trade. If he didn't want to go to Denver, he wouldn't have okayed it. He wanted to work with Sean Payton. There is nothing going on right now with him in Denver that is not something that he wanted. It's it's So I, I don't know how I'm supposed to get to a point where I feel bad for him until yeah. he like suffers some devastating injury. That's something a little bit outside the confines of football, but... Everything going on right now is something that he asked for, effectively. Be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. And this is a stark example of that, Brennan. And <laughs> it is unfortunate. But I agree with you. I'm still not at a full point of feeling super bad. It's that because you did choose this. This is what you wanted. And uh, if Russ stays in Seattle, I think, Brennan, if this goes the way it goes, it's he very much had would have had way more of an option at that point. Stan Seattle would look like in retrospect of getting to a hall of fame of elongating his career with coach Carroll here. Maybe not. Maybe it was always going to go down this, this realm at some point or another, but I do think coach Carroll got where a lot of that narrative was coach Carroll, you know, wasted Russ's prime or something, or, you know, you heard that a couple of times, I'm sure from your chat that we look at it in retrospect going, no, maybe got the most out of Russ for the most part. Did he give him the best offensive line? No. And, and that certainly was a place where I think Russ had some, valid criticisms to make of the team that he never gave. And he still hasn't with the Broncos, by the way, been given a top-notch pass-protecting offensive line. But um, It is the most expensive offensive line, though. 
Yeah, but they do the Mike like they do the Mike McGlinchey signing where you're like, and McGlinchey yeah. tonight got his butt beat by Chris Jones off the edge, off the edge, Brendan. And you're going, why did you sign McGlinchey to that big deal? Like, well, why? Like for what? For what? I think Garrett Bowles is making big money, right? He, he's yeah, but he's too. more of a run blocker too. To me, he's ben more Powers. Of a, like, like I, I guess it's the most expensive tackle tandem in the NFL. Yeah, they're probably spending like thirty times what we're spending on our tackles. Yeah. And if you're going to do that, you better get like, especially it's like a guy with McGlinchey's just, that's the antithesis of a tackle you want from Russ. A guy that's the longer you got him holding pass protection, the worse it's going to get end fast, you know, and, and he goes from San Francisco with their 2.6 seconds, getting the ball out of their hand to Mr. 3.0 seconds, every snap and how long he holds onto it. And it's like, how do you not see that as a front office going, this does not marry well to the other? And I think it was the desperation to get a right tackle in there, Brendan, in McGlinchey, because there wasn't any other maybe good options. But for the amount you have to pay him, it's got a point. Just go get it in the draft, man. You know what I mean? Like, just go find it in the draft at that point. Take one less pass rusher or something, one less tight end, and go get it over there. Um, weird on their part. That was just a weird point of decision with how they set that up. Right. Uh, but thank you, Jeffrey. Appreciate that donation. Uh, Kasra Solari, thank you for the $2 donation. Says, uh, where do you guys think the Seahawks rank? Top 10? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, somewhere in there. That sounds about right. I don't know exactly where. I don't think about it too hard. Uh, in the NFC, there are clearly two teams ahead of us, right? Mm -hmm. And like the third team would be the Lions. But, you know, we did beat the Lions. Mm -hmm. uh so you know we're right around there and then the afc you've got um i mean honestly i don't think the chiefs look better than us i gotta be honest so um they're now they're four and one they're five and one now so they're that good but i don't think they look all that good i think we're better than every team in the afc south well look and at you, your to your point on that let's look at who the the chiefs have played so far lions they lose to them then they play the jaguars bears jets vikings and broncos and beat all of those teams so that's yeah. backs up what you say there. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. The AFC there's a, like, I, I think we're better than every team in the AFC South and maybe the AFC North. There's like the Ravens, but the Ravens, I don't think look that great. Like they kind of disappointed so far to me. They lost to the Colts at home. What's up with that? Mm -hmm. And then you've got Miami. Miami's obviously incredibly good to start this season. I don't know. It feels like after the top three, Miami, Philly, and San Fran, there's a significant drop-off to the next teams. I think you can make a strong argument that they're potentially top five. I mean, I think that we play San Francisco tougher on the road eventually than Dallas did in this last game. I think Dallas losing Trayvon Diggs changes the course of their defense in a major way and their oh, team as a whole. Yeah. I'm um, not taking that team seriously again the rest of the season. I don't know what they do. It's hard to do so. I think the Dolphins are above us with how they've played. The Bills, mm -hmm. you could make maybe an argument, but we just talked about the Bills suffering three major injuries on their defense, and that's not some small little thing for them. And let's face it, as good as Josh Allen is, as good as Diggs is for them as a receiver, that is an offense that's not got a lot in the running game, and it's, it is kind of just sink or swim by Josh Allen and what he kind of does for them a bit. So I, I don't know. You could make an argument. They've got two losses on the year. Um Ravens too. I think we're all in the mix of it. We're definitely top 10 Casa. And I think it's a very much a five to 10 are all pretty much close together in the same grouping. Like nobody's really differentiating themselves out that far from one another in that spot. It's kind of a pick them. 
Yeah, yeah, it's actually kind of interesting. I thought the AFC was going to be way more difficult than this, but like some of the teams that have a decent record in the AFC are like like Pittsburgh. Are we taking them seriously? I don't. They got a negative thirty-one point differential, and they're three and two. <laughs> and Pickett's looked atrocious at times. I mean, the Texans beat him, and been picking, picking. You know, Kenny Pickett looks, you know, like just he's he's struggling. And I know some of it's you know, you know offensive line and all that, but. Yeah, I'm. Yeah. I I don't know. I can't. I can't get there with Pittsburgh either at this point ahead of us. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll say this. I think Jacksonville gets there eventually. I think eventually they're going to work their way up to where they're clearly an elite team. But it yeah. it needs to happen. Yeah, I I agree. It's it's something that's still probably developing. But right now where we're at. I think we're right there. I think we're definitely right there. Five to ten somewhere in that range is uh is pretty fair. But thank you, Kasra, for that donation. Let me make sure I'm caught up here, Brennan. Mumbles in the house. What's up, Mumbles? Thank you for the $5 donation. He says, hey, so uh, when do we get that poll posted for Witherspoon's nickname? I know I've been promising that, but Mumbles. Um, I'll do it on the next stream for sure, even if it's game day and post-stream game day. We'll, uh, Sunday is no no doubt about it. Brendan, here's our list. Let me know if you got it one to add, okay? I've got here's here's the collected nicknames for Witherspoon. Devin the Demon, Slotted Spoon, Monsoon Spoon, Legion of Spoon, Hitter Spoon, Spoon Fed, Boom Boom Spoon, 21 Savage, Boom Boom Witherspoon, Monsoon Spoon, Spoon Tang, Devin John Wick Witherspoon, Devin Quick Draw Witherspoon, Mr. Lockdown, Sir Lockdown, Tyrannosaurus Spoon, Spoonosaurus Rex, Spoonful of Boom, Harpoon Spoon, Spoonful Boom. Uh, wizard, wizard spoon, hit sticks, the big dipper, spoon kaboom, century 21, red hot, <laughs> red hot spoon, nuke spoon walker, the heat seeker, the sockeye shadow, the tiger shark, spoonie the goonie, the enforcer, the warden, sugar spoon, winter boom, defcon spoon. You know, I really like the big dipper, but that's another case of like nickname plagiarism, isn't it? That is, there is a big dipper. Yeah, isn't that a basket? Who's the bit? Wasn't the basket? Yeah, Will Chamberlain. That was Will yeah, Chamberlain. Will Chamberlain. I kind of like Twenty One Savage. Yeah, that's my that's my. But I'm gonna put it to a poll, Brendan. I'm gonna do a long. You're gonna need four stacks at a time. I'm just gonna do four stacks, mm -hmm. and we'll take the one that has the the overall. But um, I'm kind of a yeah. I'm yeah. kind of a Twenty One Savage guy myself on that one. Yeah, I, I think I think we just need to get Spoon out of there. Like Spoon Me cannot too. be in there. Yeah. Yeah, the spoon one's been real active. I know that people want to keep playing with the spoon, but it feels a little bit like we can do better, right? Like there's something better than working off the spoon last name to, to kind of capture him. I'm the same way. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Um, but thank you, man, Mumbles. And I promise you, Sunday, we will get that uh, we will get that poll, those polls up because we're going to be having polls going all day. So probably throughout the game and whatnot, we'll get it figured out. Promise you on that. So... We look at this offense, Brennan. We don't feel super scared by this defense. We have an offense that has leaned into in, in recent years here in trying to throw the well, last two years in that we we lean with throwing the ball, right? We're gonna we're gonna throw 56, 57 percent of the time as a team versus run. It's felt a little bit like to me as I look through this four four game period for our Hawks in in a place that we can maybe take a little bit more advantage of at times. Does it feel to you like in moments that we get away from the running game just a little bit? Um, I think sometimes you get carried away in the heat of the game flow, like the game's going and you're like, 
okay, I want to pass, I want to pass, I want to pass. And we're seeing all these advanced analytics now that say you shouldn't run in these situations. Like uh, um, advanced analytics indicate you shouldn't run the ball on first and 10. They also mm -hmm. indicate you shouldn't run the ball on second and 10. And obviously you're not running the ball on third down. So when you do the math, it's really adds up to where like, wait, when are you supposed to run the ball then? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But at right. the end of it says, but maintain balance. That's the ending. Yeah. The, the rule tells you. Yeah. I mean, the answer is you run the ball in the second half when you're up by four touchdowns, right? You yeah. run the ball to grind out the clock when you're ahead by a lot. So I, 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 I think it needs to be situational. And here's the thing. We are probably better equipped to run the ball than most teams in the NFL right now because of our running backs. Although I will say we do not have a great run blocking offensive line. We have a great pass blocking offensive line. So even there, I wonder, but we've seen that K nine and Charbonnet can do productive things without having a great run and blocking offensive line. So that's whatever. So we are probably more well-equipped to run the ball than a lot of these other really good offenses like um, Buffalo and Cincinnati have basically thrown the running game out completely. So I think you do need to adapt things a little bit more. Like look at what Philly does. Philly runs the ball all the time when theoretically you're not supposed to because they are so good at it. Now, we're not that good at it, but we can apply some similar things to say, hey, we have the guys to run the ball effectively more so than the average team. So we need to throw out some of the conventional wisdom of the modern age, like don't run on first and 10, don't run on second and 10, don't run uh, in this situation, don't run in that situation. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think it's got to inform you beyond that a little bit because you don't have most of those situations that are informed by analytics. Those teams, none of those teams that are running those running backs out have two second round running backs at their disposal they're using for those analytics, which makes you a little bit of an outlier to that particular stat. There's a thinking that goes into this, Brendan, like we talk about as Patrick Mahomes being the other equivalent quarterback to Burrow of, if I've got a quarterback on the other side that I can't stop him, I can only hope to maybe slightly contain him and the receivers with him. <laughs> That what you do then offensively is you try to lean more into running the ball. That there is more of a rather than getting that 57 pass, 43% run, you go more 50 50 for the ball control nature of things. Do you take that track or do you go, no, be who you are and throwing the ball is who you are? That's like you talked about the identity on defense being a little bit more what well, we've established the offensive identity to be more pass happy. Which manner is the best manner to go at? Do you just take your roll your do your offense and roll your dice that? defense will handle its business defensively or do you try to protect that defense a little bit in that play calling well generally speaking i want to pass the ball this team has been built to pass the ball we have great receivers we have great pass catching tight ends we have a pass blocking offensive line but i'm looking at a matchup like the one we have this week and i'm seeing a team that is not very good defending the run and i'm wondering maybe there's a weakness we can exploit here and i want to jump on that if it presents itself yeah that's what I just, if we come out and we're running five and a half yards per carry with both the two backs, I just don't get away from it at that point, stay on it, force them to get to a place of stop in the run, especially if it can mean bringing the eighth defender in the box, which then can mean single coverage for either Tyler or DK on the outside, because now you're going to get the big plays happening and the Bengal defense will give you those big plays, but you've got to kind of make it happen with, I think first making them have to worry about that run and know, man, this is our weakness and we're going to struggle to stop it with these guys. We need all hands on deck, all bodies near the line of scrimmage to make this uh to make this go down and happen um so you see them staying within their same kind of mode here against the Bengals. anything else offensively I, i'd love to see a trick play this game seeing a couple other teams play the Bengals teams it seems like this is definitely one where they're going to be over aggressive at times and you can take advantage of that it doesn't mean just trick play fully flicker could mean just 
reverse off a reverse. So we're, you know, just again, going one way, but then going, reversing it the other way after you get them to kind of buy into the initial movement of the play, if you will. Um, would like to see that too. Is there anything specific from you on this offense in this game that you're looking for? Would like to see specifically against this Bengal defense? Well, not necessarily something Bengal centric, but I do want to see Gino look like Gino because I know Pat Carroll keeps saying he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. I want to see it mm-hmm. because just because he's not injured doesn't mean we're out of the woods as we learned with Joe Burrow. So yeah. I will say that I want to see some throws in that first half that make me go, okay, he's fine. He's yeah. really fine. He's not just fine as in he can play. He's fine as in he can play well. Yeah. But that's not a Bengal specific thing. A uh, Bengal specific thing. I, like I said, I, I think you can attack that interior, which is why it kind of is too bad. We don't have Damian Lewis maybe this week. Mm-hmm. That's going to hurt your ability to attack that interior. But uh, they've got BJ Hill, who's a former Giants reject. I think he's uh, been batted around the league for a while now. And Cam Sample down in the trenches, not really anything to write home about and DJ readers, the one guy who kind of stands out, but even he, he's not Chris Jones. He's not Aaron Donald. He's not any of those guys. So I don't know. It's just not a very good defense overall. It's, it's been a defense that's been very average so far. It's been passable, but it's not, I wouldn't even, I don't even think it's as good as our defense and our defense overall has been not pretty mixed through four games. I yeah. think that we've probably given up more points because of circumstance, because we score a lot, and yeah. the Bengals' offense has been mostly dead this year. But um, I, I think it is a defense that you can get after a little bit, for sure. Yeah, I agree as well, especially with having not just simply, well, we've got some issues in stopping the run. We're one of the league worst at stopping the run. And as we saw last year, there was times last year where you play a Carolina game or you play a, a Raider team that doesn't really have a real functional passing attack, but now that passing attack becomes functional because you're putting so many resources into trying to stop that run game. And and that's a big key for me with our offense in this game. I agree with you. Like it's going to come down to probably throwing when it's all said and done with it, but you got to run enough to make sure you're putting that defense into that bind of, of feeling like, God, they're so good and run the ball against us with our and how we're, we're deficient in this area. And we're going to have to, you force the defensive callers to maybe get a little more aggressive in their approach. And then that opens everything up to the back end, I think, to to try to hit them on some big plays and some shots, be it for a DK or a Tyler. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be like the old Russell Wilson offense. Run the ball, run bit. the ball, play action, yeah. and then hit him over the top. It's. I, I think that's a little bit. I, I wouldn't always say every week, Brendan, that that's what I'm calling for. But this would be the particular week I would because of how weak they are in running that ball. And that that's the way you get those teams is that they go – our front seven's not going to do it. You know, if we just do three linebackers and four down linemen, or we've got a slot out there and we've got the slot, two linebackers and four down linemen, that's not going to be enough. And they have gone away a little bit, Brendan, from those five man fronts we saw back in 2009 was that 19 was Zach Taylor. When they came into our house, it was a lot of those five man fronts. They are back now to more of a four down lineman kind of thing. And they don't bring a lot of blitzes for my mind. They'll bring a little bit of a show me stuff, but it's not a you're going to get a, a heavy dose of it. So it's, it does come down to just block it up front with the four guys. You're going to have some time in the pocket for your Gino. Be patient, take what they give them. But if they bring up a lot of near, near the line of scrimmage, take advantage of those moments and go take those shots down the field with a little bit of mixture, a little bit of mixture in of uh, those trick plays, Brendan. A little bit of, uh, or at least just reverse ways where you're, you go one way, go back the other way. You know, Start something out this way, make it look like it's going this way, and then pull it back 
into the other direction because you're gonna you can probably get some holes because they're gonna play it aggressive. That team really rallies and tries to get to the ball. Um, they play hard. They're they're fast defense, Brendan. They're watching on tape. They they're not necessarily great right now, but they do play hard. Those guys give everything they got on it. It's not a defense that's just kind of laying over. Right. Um, it's it's just that there happens to be some pretty good holes in there to to go after on them. Um, got another donation here from uh, CJ Kurzman. Thank you for the $5 donation. Says, hey, B&B, thanks for all the content. Score prediction from both of you. Also, you're over under on Devon this game for going going for nine sacks and three pick sixes. I'm taking the over on that one. <laughs> Probably not the game you want to send Witherspoon on too many blitzes, if I had to guess. Like uh, against the Giants. You can blitz him and you're like, ah, the receiver's going to drop the pass anyway. Like, we, he doesn't yeah. need to be in coverage. The receiver's going to step out of bounds before catching it or something. He'll, he'll mess up. He, he's bad. But against the Bengals, that's not going to happen. So I kind of want Witherspoon in coverage as much as possible. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I think this this particular matchup, Tremar Chase being used in the slot as much as he's been used, I, I think that we're probably going to still keep Devin worked in there because you spoke about earlier. Trey Brown coming back, just it makes a lot of sense to go, okay, our strongest secondary unit is this. We have Tariq on one side, Trey Brown on the outside, and then we have Witherspoon on the inside. And if Cincinnati goes to base, then we kick Witherspoon into the outside to Trey Brown's spot, right? If they go two wide receivers and I formation, look, okay, Brown goes off the field and now Witherspoon's your outside corner. That's the way I would play it if I was Coach Carroll. But um, you're going to need him for his coverage in this game above all. There'll be games where we'll use him as a blitzer. And last week was a good one to do, CJ, because you had an offensive line in the Giants that could get confused and tripped up. And there was a good chance if you were sending him, he was going to have a, a positive impact on the play because of that confusion. While the Bengals' offensive line isn't good, it's not beaten up. It's not two down, three down, four down. They got their guys in there. They see a blitz. They have a good chance of being able to recognize it, call it, adjust to it slide the protections in the proper fashions. So it becomes just a different opponent going at him in that way. I think this will be a little bit more of mixing in certain things, but I think that they're going to try to squeeze the zones, prevent the, prevent the explosive plays with Burrow, squeeze down the zones, and see if their front four is going to be able to get the pressure back there, especially with their edge guys um, on their tackle. Right. I, I don't think their offensive line is any worse than the Rams' offensive line that just completely dominated that uh, Agreed. first game we played. So. I, it kind of also goes to the idea of teams just generally being inconsistent from week to week these days. Yeah. I talk about this sometimes how I, I, you can look at it on paper and see like, okay, this should happen. That should happen. And more so than in old days and like, even like the nineties or the OOs, it just doesn't happen. And you don't really know why it doesn't really make any sense, but like, you know, honestly, a little bit of a good example tonight, the Denver defense has been one of the worst defenses in NFL history, and they go into Kansas City and actually play an excellent game against the Chiefs. And I know the Chiefs don't have the best offense, but they still have Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. So where does that come from? How do you explain that? I don't think you can. It's just no. like this sport is weird sometimes. I think, too, that the thing that's been more illuminated to me this year than ever before and something I probably should have considered more in the past is just how much players and their energy level week to week is not always at the consistent level you think it would be. And that the human nature of looking at the opponent across from you and, and allowing yourself to slack a little bit is one that is there even for champions. I think for instance, tonight, like a Mahomes type and a chief's offense where it's just, okay, it's the Broncos. They lost a team by 70 points. And then they lost the chiefs last week with Wilson at home. He beat them. I mean, 
how you know it seems like there is a bit of a human nature thing that KJ Wright was talking about this. This also just you, yeah, you should get up for it. Yeah, you should be a professional. Yeah, you should, you know, realize you're being paid millions of dollars to to do that. But it's an easier said than done thing, and that the human nature does set in on it where you're aware of who you're playing, you're aware of that team and where it's going and who it is. And then maybe you do kind of drop. And the second in the NFL, just to give a final point, the second in the NFL, you drop that guard just a little bit. The second it's just an inch away from you being on your, that's when a, a, an NFL team can embarrass you and make you look silly, even if you're a really good and talent and coach well. Right. Um, score prediction. I've been struggling with this one all week, Brendan. Mm-hmm. And that when that happens, you know what that means to me? I'm going to make you make the first call. <laughs> uh, you're, you're gonna have to make i'll let you do the score prediction on this one because i'm i'm still literally right now to up into this last point struggling with which way i lean on this one eight to eight <laughs> <laughs> eight to eight tie one touchdown and a two-point conversion each huh <laughs> yeah I, I don't know uh, no no four safeties four <laughs> So it's a possession war. It's a field field. Uh, it's a field position war. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm gonna go with Dixon as the MVP. <laughs> <laughs> if if the NFL ever had a game like that, there would be no MVP. The MVP would be the fans that had to watch that. Oh, uh, right, seriously, they'd be giving them new t- tickets to the next game. Like, no, we're sorry. We're no, no, we know. Yeah, we know. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go with. Bengals 30, Seahawks 27, I think. I think I'm sitting in the kind of the same sort of place on this, um, unfortunately. I, I think that this is a game that comes down to being really even with Burrow back to full health. And I do come down on this game being of a – Vegas always sort of goes, if it's even, we're going to give three points to the home team. And that's how they sort of play it. And so I think that's how I'm going to sort of play this. I think if they played this in Seattle, we have a good chance of coming out by three points on the win on this. Playing in Cincinnati, I think they come out by three points on this. So I would probably give the Bengals the nod at 27 to 24. I think in Brendan, to speak for you, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, I think it just speaks to our level of respect for how Burrow was playing this game and how he can, what he can do from the quarterback position that's so unique versus anyone else. And then understanding that that's been a little bit defensively. If you have a guy like this, like Stafford did in week one, it's like that they can get after your defense a bit. And so um, I'm hoping we can turn that around. I'm hoping this week we can, you know, continue to build on what we did with the Giants. But it's my level of respect with what I see from Burrow and his ability and what he can do back there. He's just a, he's a really unique talent. Yeah. Unfortunately for us, I also think the Bengals have a certain degree of desperation about them because they started so bad and now they have their quarterback back. It gives them a chance in a game like this. And the Seahawks are not in that mode. They want, they just won three games in a row. And if we're being honest after this game, the Seahawks have a run of games that look pretty dang winnable. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that that doesn't mean to say we should forget about the fact that we still have some very difficult da- games to deal with when November comes around in uh, December. I, well, late November, early December, I think. But I think it's just two teams that are in a different mental headspace right now. And I will say this. If we do find a way to win this game, it'll probably be because we did things right in terms of like game plan and execution in terms of like running the ball until they bring the eighth man up and then going over the top in terms of like being aggressive on defense, playing tight coverage. If we do those things, then I think it's time to really start believing in potential high aspirations because if the team shows you they can 
do that against a good team, you know, not do what they did against the Rams in week one, because I, I think a lot of us, even though that game's now a month in the rearview mirror, we're still kind of living with the memory of that game thinking, man, we came out with a game plan that bad. We could do that anytime. But if you see things go differently in this game, you'll start to believe, hey, maybe that was just a, a dumb, bad week and we learned our lesson and it'll never happen again. Agreed. Like you're, we thought if we're going to be a contender, it's to round into contendership this year. It's not that we were going to, th- we didn't think with this young of a team and, and so many moving parts over the last two years, it was going to be there from day one, but you are looking to see if it can round into shape over the course of the year. You're right. I think that would be an indication of that if they do start to do those specific things you just talked about. And then as well on the flip side of that, if you come into this game and you have the Hawks dropping back into some soft zone coverages and that they do dip into that, it's a little bit of an indication of maybe in the other way of it. Not that it means that that's ultimately where the defense is at and that's their final form. And there's this a long season to learn lessons and to learn, okay, that works. This didn't work. Okay, this isn't working. That's working. A lot of time for that to occur. But this is a little bit of a, a good game to gauge that on where the defense is in, in that it's it's one thing to do it against a Carolina team with Andy Dalton and, and keep him relatively held up in a team last week against Daniel Jones. But now here comes a test. Here comes a true test with the guy with a, a team that's got offensive uh, you know weapons that can attack where you have been in recent years week. It may not be weak this year, but we're in recent years where you have been weak in the passing game. They've got the right guys to go after you with it. So um, it's, it's it'll be a fun game to watch from that standpoint, Brendan, to see if uh, this is the one where they take that step forward, especially like you say, if that identity, I like the way you put that with that. This is our identity now. I mean, I, I, I want that. You want that so desperately for this to be, you know, not that they blitz all the time, but I was looking at those numbers again, Brendan, and it's last year, 31st in the NFL in blitzing and your blitz rate at 15%. And this year, you're only up another 8% at 24%, but that puts you all the way to 12th, from 31st up to 12th in your blitz rate. And the effect and the, the positive impact that that has by just, just dialing it up that little bit more, that little bit more, and what that's brought you. And I hope they continue to build on that, man, because if they do, like you say, if they take just the route you said, you play that aggressive, you run the ball, force eight man box, you take the shots over the top, you squeeze down the squeeze down the coverages tight, don't give them the easy completions, don't let Burrow be a three-step drop guy, then I think you can win this game. I And I would be predicting the way the game. But I'm, I got to see a little more of the team's commitment to that style of play before I can fully buy in that they're fully willing to do it. I'd love to see it, though. I'd absolutely love to see it. Yeah, so I'll go, uh, I, I mean, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I, yeah, I do think this game is winnable. I just don't feel like it happens. I just... I just I can't get there yet. No, I, it's a close one for me, and I I want to do it. I, I've been wrestling all week to find where I say it's a win, but it, it just does feel like you say, I think your point, just to give a little bit of an, a button up on that point you made about the Brangles and the desperation, they're two and three right now. Three of their next four games are going to, get to be against these opponents. Um, you got the hot, or I'm sorry, four of their next, um, yeah, you know I'm at, where I'm at on that. Four of the next five are, the next, are these opponents. They got the Hawks this week, us. They got they got to go to San Francisco next week. Then they're back home against the Bills. And then two weeks after that, they've got the Ravens, Steelers, and Jaguars. So, like, all they've got is Houston as kind of a, a breath on their schedule coming up. So, they, they you're down two and three as it is right now in a tough AFC. They're coming to this game, you know, we've got to get this. we got to get this. Are the Hawks going to match that energy? Because they're going to need to to come away with that win. And uh, that's that's that'll be the interesting part on this one, Brendan. That will be the interesting part for me on this one. I hope they can. Yeah. And uh, and that's just, another reason why I say if they find a way to win this game, it's time to take them seriously as an elite team, because that that I, I, that's something I've started to pay more attention to as I've gotten older and watched more football. The 
who wants it more factor. Mm-hmm. Like you look at things like that and you realize that sometimes a team is just going to come in giving way more effort than the other team because of something like that. Yeah. A sense of desperation to one when there's not that in the other. Right. What'd you say? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> exactly that. It, it's like, uh, you know, how a team will go into a game against a terrible team and they'll show up, but they only give just enough to get the job done. Yeah. Like, um, I remember in 2011, the Colt, the Colts and Patriots were playing a game and it was the biggest line in the history of Vegas. It was like Patriots were favored by 28 points. This was the Colts team that had Curtis Painter, Painter at quarterback, by the way. Right. Oh, he was horrible. Yeah. And it was like 28 point favorites. Patriots just won by 10. They were just like, yeah. Let's just do just enough to make sure we win and pack it in. Like yeah. You see st- stuff like that all the time nowadays. Yeah. And it's harder to quantify, as you say, like you're rounding into seeing it in it, through the recent years in a way you didn't earlier on. I'm the same way where it's something you didn't maybe account for. It's harder to track. It's harder to measure. It's it's something you kind of see, you know it when you see it, but you can't exactly point to, well, when you specifically see this or that or this or that, I mean, you could say it to this team had a 30 point line and they only were able to bend by 10. I guess you could have it representatory of that, but it's, it's hard to see it, but it's there, right? Even though you can't exactly elaborate of how specifically it's there. You do feel it last year, that, that night, that second Niner game, right? The Niner game we played against them where they just kind of really took us to task in that game. They took us to task in kind of all the games last year, but that one in the second coming off that bears, ugly bears loss on the road, monsoon they're they're and us on the other end of it kind of, you know, feeling good after that Bronco win, you know, you're, you were in different States, you know, you'd, you'd kind of had your Super Bowl. So it was like, well, that was a little bit of an opening where you could see the drop off come into play. And I don't think we're going to get a drop off this week, but the, are you going to match that energy? That's the question. Are you going to match right. that desperate, desperate energy of the, uh, of the Bengals? Um, yeah, exactly. Jason Tudor. Thank you for the $2 donation. Says you guys are stuck on last year's Bengals 26, 17 Seahawks. I love the confidence, man. I mean, I got to tell you, I think last year's Bengals are kind of back. I think that, uh, I, I mean, they did, they, they don't have Jesse Bates. Like, okay, that's a big loss. That's a big drop off to the, I'd say by far the best player on their defense the last several years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, He's I agree. been awesome for Atlanta so far, by the way. He's been he huge. But I, I, other than that, I feel like last year's Bengals are kind of the Bengals that we're dealing with right now. Burrow just looked so normal last week. Yeah, I, I'm the same way with the Jason. I think that's it's, and it could be that we are just caught up on last year and that they are different this year. But I do think, like Brendan does, they're rounding into shape. Burrow's back to health, and that you could explain why didn't they look as good? Well, they sink or swim, they take flight with Burrow. And if Burrow's not out there and at 100%, they're not taking flight. And so if they lose games, I don't go at that point. Well, they're a different team this year. I go, well, Burrow wasn't his full health. Is he at full health in our game? Well, yes. Well, then I don't think this, the, the data that comes before that is as much applicable. I think the Bengals' inability to stop the run, to your point, Jason, would be maybe something you'd raise to me as a point. Say, well, look at how they're stopping the run versus where they've been on that in recent years. And I, to that, I'd say, good point. You know, that's that's that would be a valid one to certainly bring up. Um, but it's it's a little bit of me and Brendan potentially, I guess, forecasting a bit here and projecting a little bit in that thinking, okay, but him back to full health now means he'll be back to more and in, into to being run. And they did go out there and get Orlando Brown in free agency this offseason. So they did add that as a guy that they didn't have in their last year. Their left tackle position has taken an upgrade, at least that that spot minimum, um, if not other parts of that line in addition to that. But uh, I love your confidence. And Jason, I hope you're right and we're wrong. 100% on that. 100%. And uh, like, like Brendan says, I think 
we'll be brought into more of a, a conclusive point of saying, okay, we know this is this is a little bit more of where we know this team is really going and who their identity is and what they're going to do and how they're going to win. And we just need to see you don't fall back into a little bit of the trapping the Rams to kind of, I think, fully get there. On top of, again, it's a bit of our look at the Bengals and where they are, how good Burrow is, playing on the road, their desperate state versus us at 3-1, and one, coming off three wins. We haven't exactly been knocking it out of the park off of buys for about the last five years under Carroll. So we going to go in a little bit in alignment with that, but hope you're right, Jason. I really, really do brother. And I thank you so much for that donation. Mm-hmm. All righty. Um, we didn't touch on the little final part. We got the score in here. Um, I, nothing big as far as I think on the special teams fronts of a difference. I think we're a little bit better than them. There's nothing I think super notable on their special teams. Uh, their kickers nine of eleven this year, eighty-one percent. That's all. That's okay. Uh, all of his extra points, uh, forty-three average for Brad, Brad Robbins, their punter. So there's a little bit of a nod to us on the yeah. um, on the special teams, which does help a bit here. It's not a huge jump above, but it's a little bit. It's something. It's something. It's not nothing. Yeah, yeah. I I, I doubt the game will be won or lost on that front. Yeah, but. The bottom line of this is, Brendan, as we got as we got this look kind of fully seen out now, is that this game comes down to look: is this a statement game? Sure, it's a statement game. Is this not just a statement game for what you do nationally, Brendan? But it's also, as you say, a statement game for those of us that are looking to finally go. Okay, yeah, this team is ready to go to contender status. And it's not that this is the live or die point of the season that they don't do it this week; they'll never do it. That's not to say that either. It's just to say that on this current level of progress we're taking to do the two steps and not the one step back thing, but to do the two steps and one step forward thing. You look for this week to face a challenge like you had with that Rams team in week one, kind of an equivalency here. And you go, okay, you have that same kind of thing, but now you're on the road. Can you dial up a different level of, can you dial up the energy to meet their energy number one, but then can you dial up a strategy, especially defensively to find answers for this very explosive Rams offense? And if yes, There'll be a lot more confidence, I think, with both of us, Brendan, going forward in this future of the season about this defense and where it's headed. Is that a fair way to put it? Yeah, yeah. If we win this game, I'm going to start maybe bumping us above all those teams we were talking about it before. Like, uh, you know, you've got, like we said, Eagles, Niners, Dolphins in the top tier. Yeah. And then I think the Seahawks would kind of, I'd start bumping them to the top of tier two. Yeah, agreed. I, above the Lions, above the uh I don't even know who else you would put in there. A team like the, uh, like maybe the Ravens. Saints. Yeah, maybe, maybe the Ravens. Maybe Ravens, but maybe maybe Bills. Like, then I'm like starting to pay attention because then I really feel like the team is learning from their mistakes. If they can find a way to win this game, it must be because they played it the right way. Yeah, and that's the that's the key here with is learning from mistakes, growing, evolving in the sport. You're seeing other defensive coaches not evolve. See other coaches not. We're taking steps to do it. They've already taken along the. They've already taken this a long way, Brennan, with the changes to offense and what we've already started to see sprinkled in defensively. You can see the answers there starting to rise to the forefront. Now we just got to commit to it, and that's. And if they do, boy, I will, like you say, have a lot more confidence about where this team is headed if they can embrace those because that's been, I think, a big hindrance to this defense in recent seasons. On top of the talent issue, which has also been a part of it, where they've had to return the talent over. Yes but also getting the schematics right, getting the coverages right, tightening some things down just a little bit, not to a super major group, just a bit. And uh, this defense and this team can definitely take off at this point and become a contender right now, Brennan. We won't have to wait. We'll get them right now. Uh, Daniel Bailey, thank you for the donation of $2. He says, one more spoon name, the Backyard Bully. I will add it to the list, my friend. 
and we will be doing the uh, we'll be doing on my live stream on the play by play this week. We'll put the we'll put the poll up this week bit by bit throughout the course of the game and uh, see okay. if we can come to a final conclusion on a, a Devon Witherspoon nickname. I'm settling for Charbonnet, by the way. It's it's the Cambodian beef stick. So that's I've just made a executive decision went on that one brendan it makes me it makes me laugh too much not to yeah that's that's uh that seems like a keeper i think i agree with that it's unique it's strong you're not on the back of somebody else right nobody's ever been nicknamed that so i i gotta go with that one <laughs> gotta do it man gotta right. do it well um you can, if you haven't already, do me a favor, folks. Please hit the like button on this channel and on this uh, video. I would really appreciate it. You can't hit the like button on the channel, but the video. And uh, as well, do me a favor and head on over to Seahawks Brendan Nelson's channel if you're not already there or not already subscribed. We're going to be doing these shows as we are right now throughout the course of this year, twice a week. We're back rolling now off the bye. So we'll be back here on my side of it doing a post-game wrap-up here on Tuesday, then back over on Thursday to Brendan's side. I'm continuing to do this through the year, so please do get subscribed over there on Seahawks, Brendan Nelson's side of it, as these will continue throughout the course of the year. And of course, as well, if, we have any, uh, if we've got any breaking news here, we've got 20 days between now and the trade deadline. If there is something that breaks and the Seahawks do end up making some major move, we will, be, uh, we will go live to, uh, to celebrate its fact, hopefully. I would think we'd be in celebration on a move if it was to make this team better. So we will be doing that if it does come down the track in the next 20 days. But other than that, we'll keep this schedule up. We'll keep this rolling. We've got a hell of a tough matchup this week. But uh, as someone said, maybe we need to just have a little more confidence in this team, Brennan, because they've played some really good football up until this point. They're starting to turn on three wins in a row, starting to unveil some of that blitz-heavy mixture, starting to get back the reserves into the rank. The cavalry has arrived. We're not having to wait. They're starting to already here. They're onboarding right now. We're at our full strength right now, Brendan. Let's see what we can do this week, man. Let's see what yeah. we can do. Um, it's going to be a fun game. This is going to be a strong matchup between two really good teams. And uh, hopefully our Hawks can go in there and continue to carry the day here at 10 a.m. We'll be back here in about a week, Brendan. Thank you so much as always for jumping back in here and doing this uh, twice a week as you do, man. I really appreciate you uh, for hooking up with me on this as we were able to do this. You're awesome for that, brother. Thank you again. Do please tell your dad again too. Thank you for uh, thank you for the custom piece there behind me on my left shoulder, Brendan. Give them a one more time where they can go find that's Metal Hawk. Yeah, uh, go to Facebook, search Metal Hawk. I don't know how many of the kids use Facebook these days though, but that's where my dad keeps his stuff they all got a profile everyone's got a profile they don't use it but they all got a profile you know what i mean but uh daniel and all the rest of you guys thank you for everybody on all of your donations here in the stream today you guys were amazing as ever on that and kind as ever on that we'll be back here in a week until that time i would think that we wouldn't have to remind you with a team that's on a three-game winning streak i hope we wouldn't have to remind you with a team that's just on the precipice of potentially putting this country on notice that we are here and we are in the mix and you better start talking about us but just in case we still have to we're going to do so anyway because we want to make sure if there's one person out there brendan there's going to be always one always one or two out there that's a little bit you know eye up in the sky little bit, you know daydreamers and whatnot don't daydream we're in the NFL season right now, folks. We're off a of bye. It's nothing but football between now and a couple months on. So let's roll. Let's get this cooked up. Let's all not ever, ever forget. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.